The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Let me start with this word vermin, uh, which is quite uh, evocative. Former uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney slammed McDaniel on Twitter for not commenting, saying she, quote, refuses to condemn the GOP's leading candidate for using the same Nazi propaganda that mobilized 1930s, 40s Germany to evil. I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that. I mean, that is Mussolini Hitler-like language. Trump's affinity for Hitler was always covered under an umbrella of his stupidity. Uh, this is why he actually was praising Hezbollah recently. But he talks about really uh, smart. Is what he said I, I about mean, Hezbollah. His, his his praise for Kim Jong Un, for for Putin, uh, for Viktor Orban uh, of Hungary. I'm not saying that Donald Trump is a Nazi. I don't. I'm not. But but there is this infatuation that he has, and he echoes his language. I mean, that's when you were talking. Mm -hmm. You know, when he, when he when he talks about rooting out the vermin. In in all cases of history uh, that I've studied in my book, Strongman people. People did not take the various Hitlers and Mussolinis seriously until it was too late. Here's the question, Mark, is why aren't Republicans speaking out when Trump calls his political opponents vermin? That's what the Nazis called the Jews leading up to the Holocaust. Because to call your opponents vermin, mm -hmm. to dehumanize them, is to not only open the door, but to walk through the door toward the most ghastly kinds of crimes. Just going full on Hitler, uh, yeah. talking about uh, talking about vermin. You might first think that that's uh, the same montage we played yesterday, but no, no, that's uh, new material. I guess we can name this one the vermin montage. There's the talking heads going on and on and on with this tired old comparison. Donald John Trump is Hitler. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com or at our Rumble channel. Just go to Rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. The show is live every weekday morning at 11 a.m. in the central time zone of the United States. If you do visit the Rumble channel, make sure you give us the thumbs up and that you join in on the conversation. And leave a nice comment. If you'd like to email us a comment, you can reach us, td at thetrumpet.com. So, first, just an update. So many people have been curious about what happened to the dead frog that was detained by the Canadian Customs Authority. They stopped that dead frog in its tracks. And they, they unlocked an, an investigation into this mysterious frog that was being sent to one of our online students for uh, dissection for biology class. So for 48 hours it's detained. They finally, they, remember they wanted to see if it was an endangered species. Uh, they finally approved for it to continue to its uh, destination in Ontario. Um, after which the, uh, the student, I guess their parents, had to pay $75 to customs to receive a dead frog. Pretty crazy, 
It's all true, though. It's a true story, and we just wanted to give that to you. All right, now more seriously, a much bigger point. Forget about the fact that they have called Donald Trump every name in the book. Every It would be easy to make that point. We could come up with another montage where they go, well, look at the opening montage. They're calling him Hitler. They're calling him Mussolini. They call him whatever they want. And as soon as he uses the word vermin to talk about the communist infiltrators into the United States, they, they lose it. I mean, their heads explode. But a much more important point to make is that they're saying all of this, what you just heard there, at the same time that you've got Nazi supporters marching through the streets in every major city, it seems, in the West, on university campuses. They're Nazi sympathizers calling for the Jews to be murdered, applauding Hamas, cheering on the hostage takers, That's happening right now. It's spreading. It's spreading like a wildfire right across the Western nations, particularly in the United States and Britain. The U.S. and Britain. And yet all of these same people that you just heard there, they either downplay it or in some cases they excuse it. Well, they're they're occupied. The Palestinians are in an open-air prison. We've heard all of the the buzzwords. And so they have a right. I just saw this despicable clip before we went to air. I'm not sure where they come from, but basically saying, implying that Hamas can go in there and kill babies because it's Hamas's land. Can you believe that? That passes for commentary? As I say, if it's not outright justifying murder, rape, burning, looting, then at the very least, they're downplaying it. They're, they're not, like I said on yesterday's show, they don't want to draw all that attention to the tens of thousands of people that are taking to the streets in London, crying out, Aloha Akbar, as Douglas Murray said, that's a war cry. That's not a religious saying. That's a war cry. They're calling for jihad. So they're on the streets all over the United States, all over the UK. And what are the talking heads? What are the talking heads warning you about? They're warning you about Donald Trump because he used the word vermin. That really set them off. This is from uh, PJ Media. It says here, the alleged president demonstrated for anyone who was paying attention which side he is really on in the Hamas-Israel conflict, well, to paraphrase, he went over there soon after the, the attack, and he, he announced that he was going to support Israel and also give $100 million to the Palestinians, which means $100 million to Hamas, because they control everything in Gaza, everything. So there's the fake president, Joe Biden, marching to the orders of the dear leader, Barack Hussein Obama, announcing that he's going to support Hamas. It says here, the Washington Free Beacon reported Monday that the Biden administration may approve a sanctions waiver on Tuesday 
that will allow Iran to access at least $10 billion in previously frozen funds held in Iraq. Of all times to consider giving them these frozen funds. Now? Are you serious? Iran is funding this war against Israel. The, the, the Hamas terrorists, it's a proxy organization that marches to the orders of the mullahs. And here comes Joe Obama, just like they did during the first and second term of Barack Hussein Obama, just giving them piles and piles of cash. How could they even consider this at this time? It says here, displaying an admirable talent for understatement, the Free Beacon noted that this is driving concerns that the Biden administration is maintaining financial avenues for Tehran as the country's terrorist proxies foment chaos across the Middle East. I mean, the Free Beacon is supposed to be conservative, but you know, you don't want to express, you know, a level of outrage that Joe Obama would be giving billions more to Iran at this time. All of these protests, all of these Nazi sympathizers, you heard it on the montage yesterday, a guy in the streets saying Hitler knew how to deal with the Jews. You've just got to exterminate them. There are people calling for that. They're chanting for that. From the river to the sea. It all belongs to the Palestinians. And like Douglas Murray pointed out last week in that clip we played for you, I mean, to go out there on week one, keep in mind this has been happening for four or five weekends now. To go out there on week one and they're chanting from the river to the sea, and then to say the next Saturday, you know what, I think I'm going to go back again. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. I like supporting Hamas. I like ripping down all of those, uh, those flyers that are reminding us that they took hostages too. This is from uh, the Free Press <laughs> commenting on the police in the UK. It says here, police forcing a Jewish nonprofit to stop showing digital images of Israeli children who had been taken hostage by Hamas and were being displayed on vans driving through central London. Police said the images were breaching the peace. So you've seen people literally tear the flyers off the, uh, the pole or the wall that's been on film. Yeah, they're cheering on the hostage takers. The police in the UK are doing it online. No, no, take it down. That's, uh, that's going to stir up resentment on the, uh, the side of radical Islam. They've got to try to appease the Islamists and suppress any voice given to Jews. A Manchester police officer tearing down posters of Israeli children who had been taken hostage. A leadership coordinator, just giving examples throughout the UK, the headquarters of the London Police Department or Metropolitan Police posting on her LinkedIn, if anyone openly agrees with the war in Gaza, they should be called out as Islamophobic. It says here, Haley Ace, a pastor outside London who had tried to organize a prayer vigil on behalf of the Israelis, but was strongly advised by London police not to go through with it, agreed. See, all protests are certainly not equal. We see that in the United States here as well. 
It's a, I'll come to more on that in just a second. But it says here, uh, I feel like we were the path of res- least resistance. The police couldn't keep the peace, so it was down to us. The police couldn't, they couldn't keep the peace, so they had to go and tell the Jews, now don't, don't come out and show your support for Israel. That makes it too dangerous. It says here, the other reason police appear to be supporting the, the pro-Palestinian faction is they're pro-Palestinian, said Toby Young, which champions free expression in Britain, this group he leads up, and whose members have criticized left-wing illiberalism. They're not impartial, Young told me. They, they prioritize protecting the feelings of Muslims over protecting the feelings of Jews. I think that's pretty indisputable. It says here, finally, increasingly, Young said, the police are acting as if they're the paramilitary wing of the Guardian, the left-wing Guardian. The Babylon Bee had a title yesterday. Eighty years after Hitler failed, the Nazis finally seized London. <laughs> That's satire. But uh, as with good satire, there's a kernel of truth to it, right? They're, they're giving the streets over to the Nazis. And Joe Scarborough's there to tell you, on an endless loop, that Donald Trump is Hitler. Donald Trump is Hitler. As I say, you look at the timing. This kind of coverage, I mean, that is shameful. That is shameful media coverage of nothing. The word vermin, and that's that triggers them even as they see these atrocities and there was a a murder in los angeles they beat a jew to death you probably haven't heard too many follow-up stories on that one listen to the fake vice president this is kamala harris yesterday saying hey all these demonstrations i mean they have a right to to protest right clip two People, we have a right to protest. We are a democracy. And we should value the voices and listen to the voices. What I hope is that we can engage in conversation and discourse in a way that understands this is not binary, not to mention what it means in our own country. So now we're back uh, full circle. Now we want to encourage uh, violent protests, for sure, because they're, they're coming from the left wing. The Hamas supporters, they're right in step with Antifa, BLM. And so now, well, it's our constitutional right, you see. They take a very different tone. As I say, all protests are not, certainly not, created equal. Jesse Waters made this point yesterday on Fox News, clip six. I might just convert to woke to be able to protest. Because if you're a conservative and you go to a school board meeting and raise a ruckus because some transgender kid raped your daughter in a bathroom and the school covered it up? Or maybe you're a Tea Party protester who didn't like the Wall Street bailouts. Or perhaps you wanted to support election integrity. Or maybe you held a sign at Michigan State House and said, we'd like to go back to work now, Governor. If you do that, you get audited, you get arrested, you get smeared, you probably get put on a no-fly list. Maybe the Southern Poverty Law Center cancels your life. But you're saying if you have a massive movement all over the country for a month, where you're desecrating monuments, vandalizing the White House. It's now deadly. You murdered a Jewish guy in Los Angeles. 
Everyone just wants to be cautious. Let's just give them room to breathe. Let's not do anything. You don't get the full weight of the federal government, the military industrial complex, the Democrat media industrial complex raining down on your movement. Certainly not. Not, And it's worse than that. The federal government protects them. It protects the left-wing agitators. It protects the communist movements or protests. You see it there in Kamala's statement. But you turn the tables around. And I mean, the, the, the law enforcement, they'll come out and shoot you in the neck. If you support Trump because he's Hitler. Listen to, well, this is a, an email alert sent out by Tom Gross. He's just commenting on some of the, the hostages that are still there. They kidnapped 250 people. One lady gave birth yesterday, a hostage. She was eight months pregnant when Hamas took her captive. Israel has confirmed this morning that an Israeli hostage who was over eight months pregnant when she was kidnapped by Hamas has given birth in Gaza. It's not known whether the child has survived. The mother's name is being withheld for her family's sake. It says here this morning, the IDF confirmed that a 19-year-old girl, Israeli hostage, has been killed in Gaza after who knows what, I might add. So this is going on right now. And Joe Biden is doing very little about it. They, they talk about it from time to time, but that's about it. There's Ameri- I think there's eight Americans held hostage in Gaza. Listen to uh, Jake Sullivan, the NSA guy, yesterday, clip five. So we have been very transparent about the fact that we have limited visibility into both the whereabouts of the hostages within Gaza and their condition. And, and I said as recently as yesterday that we have nine missing Americans, <laughs> one missing green card holder, and I cannot look in the eye and tell you how many of those hostages are still alive. How's that for a statement? We've been completely transparent about the fact that we can't see anything. We can't see what's going on in Gaza. We don't, we'll give them $100 million. How about $100 million for the 10 hostages who are Americans? Just give them money. Hey, we're thinking about giving billions more to the mullahs. And then they can, they can fund Hamas even more. This is ins- and, then the, and then the regime media goes on and on about the threat that Donald Trump, just an ordinary citizen, well, he's had an extraordinary business, but you know what I mean. He's just living in Florida. It, it's really criminal. What they cover and then what they cover up. What they create. I shouldn't even say cover because so much of it's just a false narrative. And then they cover up crimes. A a, a pregnant hostage giving birth to her baby in Gaza. What a nightmare. This was Jake Tapper. He, every once in a while, gets it right. Here's one of those instances, clip four. I'm really struck by something uh, in the last 30 or so days, especially as the White House earlier today confirmed that that one of the estimated 240 hostages kidnapped by Hamas and other uh, groups in Gaza, one of them is a three-year-old American child. Um, There are people in the United States, loud voices, um, who shown this this crisis in which there are Americans and innocent people, innocent Israelis, 
taken hostage are actually rooting for the hostage takers. Um, and we see these images seemingly every day of Americans ripping down posters yeah. of kidnapped kids, kidnapped children. I've never seen anything like this. Never seen anything like it. I played the clips from Doug Murray yesterday where he said what I witnessed in southern Israel. I mean, it was it's on a smaller scale, but it was worse than the Holocaust. Never seen anything like this. Taking to the streets, calling for the death to Jews, ripping down posters of hostages, pictures of hostages, and their rights fully protected by Uncle Sam. Over in the UK, I mean, the, the ones wanting to come out in support of Israel, they're told to stay home. You'll cause, you'll cause violence if you show up because you're a Jew. And the Nazis that you want to be concerned about, or at least that Joe Scarborough and company want you to be concerned about, are just Trump supporters, of which, going by three years ago, there are 75 million, 75 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. What about those hostages? What about the mindset where does, that, where does that come from? Piers Morgan, he had an exchange yesterday with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, he used to be leader of the Labour Party in the UK not that many years ago. A few years ago, he nearly, he very nearly became the British Prime Minister. And listen to what he cannot bring himself to say. This is clip seven. This country says they're a terror group. Do you agree? And should they stay in Listen, power? Listen, I do not approve, support, or welcome Hamas. Are they a terror? Are they a terror group? Everybody knows what they are. Are they a terror group? Look, um, Piers. Can, can you say it? Piers, can we have a discussion? Can you say it? Can we have a discussion? Can you call them a terror Piers, group? Can we have a discussion? Can you call them a terror Piers, group? Is it possible to have a rational discussion? Are you with prepared you? to call is Hamas a terror group? Is it possible to have a rational you discussion? You can't, can you? Is it possible? Come on, answer that you question. Can't, can you can't, can you? Answer it. No, it's my okay. show. You answer my question. Well, are, Hamas, are, the, are Hamas a terror group? Listen, can I. Are they a terror group? Yes, can I. Speak? Answer the question. 10 or 12 times, it seemed. He, he couldn't bring himself to say outright that Hamas is a terror a terror group or a terrorist organization. And before that, Piers says, should they remain in power in Gaza? Hamas. He couldn't answer that either. That guy, that guy on the right, nearly became the prime minister of Great Britain. That's the mindset. That's why, that's why the streets of London are overrun with Muslims. That's why the Jews are told to stay home. It's because of that thinking, that communist ideology, that, that sympathize or sympathy for fascism spilling into the streets all over the United States and Britain. For his part, the dear leader here in the States, last week, remember, he made that, uh, that obscene comparison between what happened on October 7 and the so-called occupation, the so-called occupation, I guess, of Gaza, which has been completely free of any kind of uh, IDF influence or even Jewish presence since 2005. Listen to, I played the clip for you last week. 
what Obama said in that podcast that he was on. Listen to Bill, uh, Bill Maher's reaction. He's, uh, he's certainly no fan of Trump and practically worshipped Obama just like everyone else did and does. But listen to Bill Maher's take. This is clip three. I am struggling with people's moral equivalency still. I mean, Barack Obama, who has rarely disappointed me, did so this week. The attack was only a month ago. A more savage attack than we've ever seen in reverse. There's a big difference between collateral damage and what Hamas did. When they fire at Israel, it's a war. When Israel fires back, it's a war crime. A little crazy. He's exactly right on that point. He's uh, unhappy with the dear leader, that obscene comparison, the moral equivalency. Y you look at Barack Obama's associations. We've talked about that in recent weeks. Rashid Khalidi, he's the Jew hater. He's the one that talked about all of the Jews that had infested the Trump administration. What a word to you. You can't use vermin if you're Donald Trump. But he said that Trump's orbit had been infested by Jews. What about uh, Louis Farrakhan? Forget about Jeremiah Wright. We could, we could find plenty there as well. These are all Obama's best friends. Obama took the picture with Farrakhan, what, back in 2006? With the Black Caucus there in Congress? And then, and then the regime media carefully concealed that photo for what? I think it was 10 years. They don't want you to see him hugging Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan calls the Jews termites. Well, is that? Is that Hitler-esque? To call Jews termites and then to squeeze Barack Obama? Trump uses the word vermin and it triggers them. They've called him every name in the book, haven't they? I mean, it really does expose the devil who is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12. And he accuses you of exactly what he is and what he's doing. <laughs> that clip yesterday, you know, David Brooks that felt pretty good about himself. He even chuckled as he said it. Well, an authoritarian would indict the political opponent. And he was talking about Donald Trump, of all things. Donald Trump is going to get in there and indict his political opponent. Oh, you mean like Joe Biden's doing right now? this story yesterday, this too, very, very revealing. It, it tells you everything that you need to know about the communists who are in charge. President Xi, he's visiting San Francisco uh, this week, I think it is, for the APEC conference. And I mean, the radical Democrats in California, that's a blue state, deep, dark blue for sure. And they are rolling out the red carpet for these, authori these actual authoritarians, these tyrants, these dictators. And they're, they're finally cleaning up the streets of San Francisco, removing the feces, all of the syringes, the drugs, the homeless. Yeah. Because all the bigwigs, they're coming in from the communist countries and we got to impress them. We've got we've to lay out the red carpet. You look at some of the images now of the streets of San Francisco, spotless, 
<laughs> There's a nice, beautiful wall, by the way, separating the sheeple from, you know, the good, famous communist dictators. Because they've got to be protected. This is a, a wonderful opportunity for Gavin Newsom and for other world leaders. For, for Joe Biden, listen to Gavin Newsom uh, commenting on people finally asking some serious questions to politicians. Hey, you haven't cleaned up the streets for us ordinary taxpayers. So what's going on here? This is clip nine. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true. What a, what a statement. What a put down of just ordinary citizens. That's true because it's true as he wobbles his head. That's true because it's true. Why didn't you do it before? Look at what's happening to your city. It's happening all over the place in those deep, dark blue districts. But there he is to remind you that, yeah, we're cleaning it up for the communists coming into town. What are you going to do about it? People have about had enough. You can see why the poll numbers are just plummeting. With leadership like this, Donald Trump doesn't even need to campaign. There's another story in here. He's losing all of the, the black vote. I mean, that... That is a cause for alarm among Democrats, always has been. Black voters have long been a pillar of the Democratic Party, particularly in the 58 years following the passage of the Voting Rights Act. It says in 2020, the blacks voted Biden 92 to 8 percent. But recent polling from The New York Times and so on, 22 percent. Well, I've given you those stats uh, before, but just coming back to how revealing it is when President Xi is coming into town. I mean, they're going to clean it up for him, not for you as an ordinary American, certainly not for the sheeple, but for Xi, it's a different story. The NSA guy, uh, Jake Sullivan, he was asked about this, uh, this cleanup crew now that really is sprucing up the place in San Francisco, clip 12. Does President Biden agree it's more important to impress the leader of China than the American people that live in San Francisco and pay taxes every day? First, I completely reject the premise. Yeah, he's got the same tone, same tone as uh, Newsom. I reject that premise. Listen, just sit back down in your chair. Just relax. We've got it under control. We'll clean it up when we need to clean it up. We'll, we'll lay out the red carpet. We don't care what you think. Donald Trump. <laughs> and these people wonder why. They wonder why Donald Trump is so popular. Listen to him. This was that New Hampshire uh, speech on Saturday. I played a couple clips yesterday, but here he is, clip 10. Like tens of millions of people within our nation, I'm proud and strong. That election, I'm a very proud election denier because unless the truth is found, we will never have fair, free, and honest elections. That's another phrase that triggers them. I'm a proud election denier. Well, that's, uh, that's going to cause violence. Look at, what, look at what happened on January 6th. This is from Issues and Insights. It says here, if you're like us, you're sick and tired of being labeled a denier. Anytime you challenge the left's agenda, 
The problem is that the deniers keep turning out to be right. It says the latest example came out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. It talks about the election fraud in that local race. We've hit on those details before. But it says even CNN, which can always be relied on to dismiss election fraud as a myth, was forced to admit that the Connecticut case does highlight the potential vulnerabilities with mail-in voting. Even CNN had to admit it. Why is it that the election deniers, or just the deniers, they keep turning out to be right? It says here, just a reminder, this is exactly what election deniers have been saying since 2020, when Democrats used COVID as an excuse to implement widespread mail-in voting schemes across the country. It says, this is hardly the only recent case of election fraud involving mail-in ballots. It says, a search of the Heritage Foundation's election fraud database finds 127 convictions for election fraud since the 2020 elections. This is an interesting study, the Heritage Foundation, because it's really got a pretty big gap there in 2020. But leading up to it, and then certainly after that, there's all these cases, these convictions even, of people cheating. <laughs> cheating, cheating on elections. But then 2020, what did the communists, what did the, the communists say about that election? It was completely perfect. No cheating whatsoever. Or if there was, it was just on such a small scale. You mean even after sending out a hundred mail-in ballots, first time in history? What if, what, even this article, so frustrating, you get to the end and it says, now just to be clear, we're not saying that the 2020 election was rigged or anything. I mean, we'll never know. In other words, the same tone that so many conservatives take. Let's just move forward. Let's just try to do our best next time. It says here, Heritage is quick to point out that these numbers wildly undercount actual instances of fraud because the database doesn't include cases that went unreported or that prosecutors decided not to pursue, which happens all too often. It's kind of like the illegals coming across the border or the terrorists numbered among them. <laughs> the ones you catch, okay, they're on the terrorist watch list, but what about the ones you, you miss? What about the cheating that, that isn't noticed or observed? It's quite a world, isn't it? It's quite a world filled with deceit and lies. I mean, we're, we're just seeing human nature in its final horrific stages. It's prophesied to get worse and worse. Paul said it in 2 Timothy 3. And, and you have all the technology these days that just makes it so much easier to get away with, to promote, to amplify filth, cheating, squalor in the case of uh, the city streets, except when President Xi shows up. Listen again to Donald Trump from New Hampshire, clip 11. It's no wonder crooked Joe Biden and the far left lunatics are desperate to stop us by any means necessary. You got to watch, you know, we're going to have a lot of votes. We're going to have plenty of votes. The big thing that we all fear, everybody in this room fears, is the way they cheat on elections. Uh, it's the second most question. I think the first question I get from people, people come up and talk. And they say, sir, could I ask you a question? Yes. How do you take it? That's my first question. Because this isn't supposed to happen to a former president who's very popular. I got 75 million votes. I got, and that's their count, okay, which is a phony count. But 
I got votes, more votes than any sitting president in history. And I went from 63 to 75. That's the biggest increase. There's never been a president. Most presidents, like Obama, got less the second time by millions. 63 to 75 million. He was increasing in popularity throughout his first term. Even while coming, <laughs> coming underneath this, this withering assault, these attacks from every direction, the impeachments, the investigations, the spying, all of the backstabbing, people coming into his administration, and then leaving and writing the tell-all book about clavicles and things of that nature. And yet he still, he still went from 63 million in 2016 to 75 million. He's out there to this day as a proud election denier. There's no way, there's no way Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Just didn't happen. So he says it, he says it proudly, and the communists in charge can't stand it. That, I mentioned that clip from yesterday, Brooks all proudly saying, you know, an authoritarian indicts his political opposition, his political opponent. Listen to this one. This is PBS's take about how dangerous it is for anyone to dare question the result. Not, not anyone, I shouldn't say that. How dangerous it is for Donald Trump to question the results of an election. Clip eight. He also called himself in those remarks a very proud election denier. It's been three years since he lost that 2020 contest, and we know he's still not conceded. And we know also where the majority of Republicans and Republican-leaning voters stand in recent polls as recently as August. 69% of Republicans and Republican leaders say that Mr. Biden's win was not legitimate. So, Ruth, what's the resonance of that lie? And, and also the fact that Mr. Trump is embracing that now, saying he's very proud to be an election denier. This is part of being much more overt about uh, becoming an authoritarian and uh, transforming America into some version of autocracy, because the end game of election denial is actually to convince Americans that elections shouldn't be the way they choose their leaders. So here we are again, because Donald Trump denies the results, that makes him an autocrat. Here, here you see he's Hitler. Here again, he is Hitler. All of this commentary, even as we've got these Nazi sympathizers calling for the death to Jews, they're taking to the streets in London, New York, and beyond. And this is all that these people can even talk about. No wonder so many people are not just leaving Joe Biden as far as politics goes. They're leaving MSNBC and CNN as well. It's a shame, though, that there aren't more, you know, actual conservative voices that just bring a message with boldness and courage. So much of it just tails off at the end, like that Issues and Insights piece that basically was hammering away at all these cases of election fraud. And then at the end, at the very end, now, don't get us wrong. We're not saying the election was stolen or rigged. We don't want to offend the communist overlords. We've got to roll out the red carpet for them. We've got to worship them. I mean, look at the look at the angel of light language that comes from the dear leader. The same angel that made that obscene comparison. So much so that it even disappointed Bill Maher. 
Well, there's a couple more stories I could get to, but I want to reserve a few minutes today for uh, a Bible study. We haven't had one in a couple of days, so we'll have one when we come back. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Herbert W. Armstrong used to talk often about the two ways of life, and uh, he simplified it beautifully for our understanding, saying there's the way of give, and then there's the way of get. And the way of get, of course, is just what permeates our society. It's the root cause of everything that we discuss in the first segment of this show each day. Everybody doing what seems right in their own eyes. This is from uh, an article Mr. Armstrong wrote many, many years ago. It says here, the rapid growth in the power of this work depends more upon your prayers and your closeness to God and to Christ our Savior than anything else. He used to say we've got to put our heart into the work. And if we do that, then we'll grow spiritually. We'll grow in character. We'll grow to become more like God. Become you therefore perfect. And even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. This is from 1979. It says, I have found that nearly all the troubles among our membership have come from those employed, those getting their salaries from God's church. We have had uh, little trouble and very few problems with lay brethren who give offerings and pay tithes to the church. He was just contrasting some that were looking at the work, the work of the church, as, uh, as something that could give to them, you know, the spirit of get, in other words. Whereas those scattered around the world and they're following every word that comes out of God's church, consuming all the material, and they want to do what they can to support that effort. 
It, it really is as simple as a direction. He used to define, Mr. Armstrong did, God's love as an unselfish, outflowing concern for the good and welfare of others. It says, more and more, as I advance in years of experience, I learn that the big dividing line between the true people of God, the truly converted, and those who profess a conversion, they do not really live, is the dividing line between give and get. The give way of life is God's way, that of God's law of outflowing love. It says the get way is that of Satan. Get, be lustful and greedy, cultivate vanity and pride of self, be jealous and envious, turn to resentment and bitterness, be competitive, always trying to get. That's the spirit of the devil. He sa it says it there in Isaiah 14, I will put my throne even above God. Luf Lucifer's big sin, it was vanity. He trusted in himself, his own beauty, the scriptures relate. Philippians chapter 2, let's just notice this. This tells us here about the mind of Christ, the spirit of God. Philippians 2 and verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if you back up to verse 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Think about how different this world would be if everyone was looking on the things of others. If they, instead of, instead of justifying murdering babies, because, well, we're occupied, if everyone was truly looking to, to give and to serve one another, if there was true and sincere love between the races, between religions, instead of so much animosity and hatred and strife and division and violence, verse 3, this same chapter, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. In lowliness of mind, humble yourselves, in other words. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. It says elsewhere in the New Testament. Humble yourself and, and look on the interests and the needs of others. The Williams translation says of verse 3, Practice treating one another as your superiors. Another translation says, each of you should regard others of more account than himself. The New American Standard says, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's the spirit of God's love. That's the spirit that motivated Jesus Christ to sacrifice his life for a world that truly despises him and the religion of God, true religion, the, the truth of the Bible. It's not, it's not their time to know and to understand the truth. Their minds haven't been opened to the truth. Not yet. It, it will happen. Soon the teachers that God is training right now, they're going to come out from the corners and be right at center stage. You can read about that in Isaiah 30. Look at Romans 15. Romans 15, I mean, that example of Jesus Christ, the spirit of sacrificial love. 
You don't see that in the world today. This world is deceived, as Revelation 12, 9 says. And Satan works as the god of this world. He works. He, he, he is the prince of the power of the air. And that's why his attitude, that's why his moods just permeate the air of our society. Look at how quickly he can just whip up a white-hot rage, a frenzy of white-hot rage. Romans 15.1, it says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Look after the weak, those of you who are strong. Don't just, don't just look after pleasing yourself. Verse 2 says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. This is how you build up a family. Everyone has to contribute. But we all want to truly bear one another's burdens, as Paul said in Galatians. That doesn't mean we're just giving handouts to people. We're teaching them how to produce themselves, how to grow themselves. And when everyone gets into that spirit, the work benefits. Families benefit. Communities benefit. Nations do. Verse 3, it says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. Christ wasn't in it for himself. He could have fled any time along the way. But he faced the persecution. He did it for others. And of course, God made it the ultimate sacrifice as well. Sacrificing his only son, John 3.16. He did it because he loves the world. He loves Human beings made in the image and the likeness of God, or at least to be made in that perfect image, once God's purpose and plan uh, is carried out. Verse 5, it says, Now the God of patience and, and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, uh, according to Christ Jesus. Following that example of Jesus Christ, that's what Paul's saying here. Follow in his steps. Peter said that in 1 Peter 2, verse 7, staying here in, uh, in Romans 15. It says, Wherefore receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory uh, of God. Receive one another. Embrace one another. Help each other. There's a passage in Hebrews 10. We've heard it in a few messages here on campus of late about provoking one another to good works, helping each other to produce. Paul said, don't forsake the opportunities you have to assemble together, to draw near to the family of God, to fellowship often one with another, like it says in Malachi 3, to build up, to strengthen, to edify that family. Read those analogies in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. It talks about how every member has a role to play. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says that God puts us in the body of Christ where it pleases Him because He wants for us to contribute to the overall health of the body of Christ. That is the true church. That verse in uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 21, uh, maybe this might be uh, chapter 2, I might have an error in my notes, but it says here, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, 
leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Christ suffered for us, and in doing so, he left us an example. And God says now, follow his steps. Look at the way Jesus helped and interacted with lowly sinners. The Pharisees, of course, criticized him for that. You can read that exchange in Matthew 9, where they couldn't believe it. He was there with the publicans and the sinners and so on. And Christ said, look, we need to be healed. We, need, we all need a physician. The human heart is sick. Jeremiah 17, 9. This is from a good news article that was printed back in 1982. But it says here, As we yield to God and His Holy Spirit, a miraculous change will occur in our lives. We will take on a new heart, nature, and outlook. We will become kinder, more thoughtful, and compassionate. We'll find that serving others will become a sheer joy and delight. Now that miraculous transformation, it takes a lifetime. It's what we call conversion. Converting to, ultimately, to a God being. God reproducing himself above all, his nature, his character, his love, his life. This is what God offers to us. And the process, of course, begins with repentance and faith, and then, of course, baptism and the laying on of hands and the receipt of God's Holy Spirit. And then the, the journey begins, the journey that results in a literal birth into the family of God. That's all we have time for on today's show. Unfortunately, you are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.